Let's give the Lord praise on today. And you may be seated on this morning. I, I want to appreciate and thank the Lord for my brother, Elder Lawrence Blake. Amen for presiding over service on today. And let's give the Lord praise for Bishop Charles E. Blake Sr. and Lady May L. Blake. Amen. And of course, I want to praise the Lord for your first lady, Lady Deandra Blake. She is something special. And of course, I want to give the Lord praise for Bishop Martin Luther Johnson and Bishop Ron Gibson in the house of the Lord on today. I want to praise the Lord for one of my new best friends, Pastor Anthony Coleman. Amen. Let's praise the Lord for him. And it is a pleasure to meet him and make his acquaintance. But most of all, praise the Lord for y'all. Give yourselves a hand. I don't think that I can describe to you. And well, you know, let's praise the Lord for our online family. Amen. There's it's more y'all out there than it is here in the building. And we want to praise the Lord and we want to welcome you and we praise God for you and that you've decided to be a part of what God is doing right here at West Angeles. But I was about to say that I don't think that I can describe to you how blessed I feel to be able to worship the Lord with you again. Amen. I thank you so much for your prayers and your well wishes during this time of recovery. I've missed you so, so very much. But along with me being on the road to recovery recently, I found out that COVID is still out there. <laughs> I caught symptoms the week before last, and naturally, Dr. Deandra had me take a test. And as soon as it came up positive, she immediately sent me to my room where I stayed for the next week and a half. <laughs> So she made sure that I was right and healthy before I could come out. But as I was cooped up in that room, looking at you all worship online and praying for you and seeking the Lord's face as to how we are to move into the future, it occurred to me that it has been the great honor and it has been the great honor of my life to serve and worship the Lord with you as your pastor for the last eight months. Come on, give yourselves a, a bigger hand than that. You all are the most special and beautiful people on the planet. I love you all so very much. I, I feel like we've grown together, you see, because in the same year that I was born, my father, presiding Bishop Emeritus, then Elder Charles Blake Sr., became the pastor of West Angeles Church. So my age matches the amount of time that the we as a family has been a part, have been a part of West Angeles. It, it seems almost surreal. Every once in a while I'll pass by the old West Angeles on Fifth and Adams and I can almost see myself climbing that tree that sits out in front of the church building over there and running around in the parking lot after service with Lady May saying that I was going to get a whooping when I got home if I didn't act like I had some sense. But you can't tell a little six-year-old boy after being cooped up in church all day not to run around. That's exactly what we did. I remember us moving to the North Campus when I was 12 years old and sitting in the back of the church of the North Campus as I moved into my, te my teens because I thought I was too cool to sit up in church, up in front with the kids and the older folk. And now I look at us here in this grand cathedral and I see how much we have grown, West Angeles. Give the Lord praise again for what he is doing in our lives here. But now I look at myself and I see that I am one of the older folk. 
<laughs> what happened? I, I saw the young folk up here dancing and jumping and everything, and I was like, I remember when I used to be able to do that. But as soon as I get healed up and everything like that, y'all going to see me jumping around the stage, too. It almost brings tears to my eyes to see what God has done in the life of West Angeles from that little church on Fifth Avenue in Adams to here. I can only imagine what God has in store for us as we continue into a future that he has already laid out. Oh, the Lord is going to do some beautiful things. There is no group of people that I would rather face my future with, our future with, than with you. Give yourselves another hand. However, years ago when I was first appointed to the post of an assistant pastor back then, I have to admit to dealing with, if I can be transparent, is that, is that all right? I have to admit to, at that time, dealing with a very different and special kind of anxiety. Whenever I would think about West Angeles, Bishop said that he was going to make me assistant pastor, and I knew the implications of what that meant for the future, and all of a sudden it just kind of started coming in on me. I would feel it when I would drive down the street and I would look at West Angeles as I was driving by and it was just kind of a, I could kind of feel a, a, a heaviness even when I would walk into the offices there. This anxiety would feel the strongest, however, when I would be sitting right in that seat right there looking at Bishop preach the word sitting in that assistant pastor's chair at that time, sooner or later you're going to ask yourself, could I preach to this great people Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? Every time you step in the pulpit, someone trying to take your measure. Always wondering if you have what it takes or even outright deciding that you don't have what it takes because you don't sound enough like the bishop. There's no way that you're ever going to be able to minister like that, I would tell myself. There's no way that you would ever be going to be able to minister like your father. You don't even hoop like he hoops. I could hear myself thinking, you, you haven't been preaching since you were 16 years old like he has. When I was 16, Brother Magic, I was, my biggest concerns were playing football and learning to drive and how to talk to girls and be cool. <laughs> I never quite got those last two quite right. <laughs> But when dad was 28 years old, he was appointed as pastor of West Angeles Church. Hmm. When I was 28, well, let's just say that I wasn't a model church member. <laughs> the Lord still had a lot of work to do on me. When dad was 45, he had just lost his father, and he was soon to become bishop of Southern California First Jurisdiction. And at that time, he had been preaching for 20, 29 years, and so on, and so on, and so on. And during that time back then, everyone would be so well-meaning and they would have such good intentions when they would tell me just to be myself. Don't try to imitate your father. God has something for you to say. Amen. And I would smile and I would thank them from the bottom of my heart and I would mean it. But in the back of my mind, I would be asking myself the question, what if myself wasn't enough? 
there seemed to be a number of self-disqualifying statements that I was making to myself about myself when faced with what eventually would be my call, my future. These things and statements are what I considered my weaknesses, my imperfections. I had a whole list of them in my head and in my mind. I began to wonder more and more why these things seemed to pop up in my thoughts whenever I thought about you, thought about West Angeles. What was it that was seeming to make me disqualify myself? God's call was clear. God had made his decision. You are going to be the pastor. But what was it that seeming that seemed to make me want to tell God that obviously he had made the wrong decision? And as I continued to ponder or rather yet agonize over these thoughts and reasons why at the time, in my mind, I didn't seem to fit the mold, I remembered a few other men in the Bible that tried to disqualify themselves when God called them to their future. Amen. Perfect imperfections. Well, we know Abraham to be the father of faith. He who God established the covenant with and laid the foundation for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, he ultimately accomplished with the Lord's help what he was called to do. But when God first came to Abraham in physical form and told him what he was going to do through him, Abraham tried to disqualify himself from his call. And he tried to tell God why he could not do what God told him that he was going to do. In Genesis 17 and 15, then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Remember, Abraham and Sarah had no kids at this point in time. And all of a sudden, they're being told that Sarah will be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham, and get this right here. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said, In his heart shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child. Abraham, when told that he was going to be the father of many nations, countered with, in the fact that in, with the fact that in his eyes and in his heart, he was too old to be a father and that his wife was barren. Because of his age, he tried to disqualify himself. Then in Judges 6, the children of Israel were being oppressed by the Midianites, and God was going to use Gideon and only 300 men to defeat a Midianite army of more than 100,000 killers. But when God first called Gideon, Gideon tried to disqualify himself. Get this, in, Jude, in Judges 6 and 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. Now, even before we get to know Gideon, we are hearing that he thought that he was the weakest in his family. 
Many of the men of Israel at this time had resisted and died and been killed as their wives, mothers, daughters, and possessions were being taken away. And here he was off hiding, threshing wheat in a wine press. So the Midianites would not come and steal and raid his harvest. How many times did he wish that he wasn't such a coward? How many times that he did he wish that what he believed about himself wasn't true? So Gideon, when greeted by the angel of the Lord as a mighty man of valor, tried to tell God that he was the weakest member of the weakest family, of the weakest clan, of the weakest tribe in the children of Israel. He promoted his weaknesses. He tried to disqualify himself. Let's go to Exodus. Moses was used of God to lead his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt to the realization of what God has promised their progenitor Abraham 400 years before. So God did what he said he was going to do through Abraham. God called Moses out of a burning bush and told him that he was to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And the first thing, the first thing that Moses did was to try to disqualify himself. You all remember Exodus 3 and 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God then performed a series of signs and miracles. And then Moses says in Exodus 4 and 10, then Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. And the Lord just spoke to him at that moment. He said, even before nor since you have spoken to your servant, which is quite eloquent for him to say that back to the Lord. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. God asked Moses, who made man's mouth? Who made men's ears. God then says, I will give you the words to say. Now go tell Pharaoh what I told you to go tell Pharaoh. But Exodus 14 and 13, but he said, oh my Lord, please sin by the hand of whomever else you may sin." still trying to disqualify himself. Then in Exodus 4, Exodus 4 and 14 again. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. You know, you never want to be in a position where the anger of the Lord is kindled against you. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do, so he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God, and you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the sign. Now, if you really think about it, Aaron was not originally called to speak to Pharaoh. But Moses fought so hard to disqualify himself to God, who again is the maker of all tongues, mouths, and ears, that God ended up having to bring someone else in on the call that he was trying to put on Moses' life. 
Moses fought so hard that God had to bring someone else in. I don't want God to have to bring someone else in on the call that he has on my life. I have to wonder what would have happened if Moses had just taken God at his word and believed that God would be his mouth and would tell him what to say. I have to wonder how much more God could have done in Moses' life and through Moses if Moses had not spent so much time promoting his imperfections to God, the maker of all mouths, tongues, and ears. So much time disqualifying himself. But these men, when they first came in contact with the knowledge of their cause and with their futures through miraculous, miraculous, miraculous visitation of God or one of his angels, all responded with a number of self-disqualifying statements about why they were not the men for the job. They responded with their weaknesses, their deficiencies, their imperfections. They responded with what their past and their circumstances told them that they were. They were all told that they were going to do great things for the kingdom of God, and they all tried to tell God that they were not the men for the job. They were standing face to face with the eternal, immutable, visible presence of God who believed in them, but they could not believe in themselves. They all tried to disqualify themselves. Now, I have to admit that I have kind of a problem with these brothers right now. You see, I've never seen no burning bush. Never argued or bargained with a physical manifestation of Almighty God, nor have I seen him manipulate the laws of physics and nature and, well, Lord, if it's you, put dew on the ground and not on the fleece and you know, the next day we'll put dew on the fleece, but not on the ground. Never done all of that. Never been awakened in the middle of the night by an angel saying, thus saith the Lord. That ain't never happened to me. These men had the experience of communicating with the actual physical manifestations of God's existence and indications of his will, and they still doubted his word. I have to ask myself how much faith is necessary when you have seen God with your own eyes. How much faith do you need if you've seen that? But God has used much subtler ways of telling us what he wants, and we are invited. No, we are commanded to follow his will. But blessed are they that have not seen and still believe. I think I'm talking about y'all. Blessed are they who have not seen and still believe. I'm reminded that all of us are given a call, a gift, a purpose. It screams and it claws to get out of you. Its greatness calls out to you even now, but life has given you what we would all call weaknesses, deficiencies, imperfections. Things like, well, I, I, I didn't finish school or I didn't get a degree or I'm too shy to speak in front of a cloud, a crowd. He could never say anything through me or, you know, I got a prison record, you know, so I could never do anything like that. Or I'm too old to go back to school. I'm too old to start a new career. I'm too old to start something new. It would take too much time. When we're talking to the person and the being and the God who created time, who can give you as much time as, you, as he needs. 
God has called all of us to a purpose in his will, and yet most of us have tried to disqualify ourselves and tell God why we think he chose the wrong person. Why is that? Why do we believe that it is only through others that God could do something great? Why do we believe that we ourselves cannot be extraordinary? That we ourselves could never succeed? Why is that? You see, I think it's because we forgot something. We forget that when a healthy adult male expends his seed, he releases 40 million to 1.2 billion sperm cells in a single discharge. 1.2 billion sperm cells are in a race, and only one can win. Only one is going to fertilize the egg. All the other 1.2 billion cells are going to die. The cell that became you, you fought up and fought against to up to 1 billion, 199 million, 999,999 opponents and won. You, if you didn't, you wouldn't be here right now complaining about you are not the one for the job that God put in for you, the greatest odds you will ever face in your existence were defeated by you before you ever even arrived here. Oh, somebody give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. You were a winner before you even came out of your mother's womb. That's how God can say that before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I knew that you had what it took to make it. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I knew that you were a winner. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I knew that you were more than a conqueror. Oh, let's give the Lord some praise on today. Hallelujah. The odds against you making it here were 1.2 billion to one, and you won that race to exist. You made it. You're not only one in a million, you're one in 1.2 billion. Oh, give the Lord praise. Look at your neighbor and say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just what has happened since your arrival here that has given you the impression, the lie, that you couldn't do it, that you couldn't make it. But you came into this game a champion. You came into this game more than a conqueror. It's just what has happened here since your birth that has you thinking that you could never accomplish something great in this world from the Lord. And that, beloved, is a lie from the devil. Psalms 107 and 23 says, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. The writer is saying that if you stay on the shore, well, you never really get to see God's greatness and God's power. He's saying that you have to launch out into the deep water to see what God can really do. Because calm seas do not good captains make. God has called us all to deep water. 
Some of us may know what God wants us to do, and we don't do it because deep water can be a little bit scary. The unknown can be more frightening than anything that we know about. There's a story that just happened this week about how deep water is pretty dangerous. But God has called all of us to deep water. Some of us ignore this call every day, and soon it becomes easy to, to push it to the back of our minds and to pass it off as daydream or fantasy. But other of us, others of us are faced with it every minute of every day, and we see it everywhere we look. We see it when we drive down Crenshaw sometimes. It haunts us. It cries out to some of us when we look at the state of the world. You know what I'm talking about. Every time you turn on the news, something you feel something pulling at you. When you see about all of the pain and the despair, when you drive down the street and you see all of the hurting people, something stirs inside of you. When you try to sleep, it's always stirring in there. It's always there. but you try to disqualify yourself. So how are we to deal with these things that we would call weaknesses, imperfections? You can't deny them and act like they don't exist. They do. Abraham actually was too old to have a baby. Moses actually did stutter. You may actually have a prison record. You might not have graduated from high school. So what's the answer? What is the secret? How are we all to deal with these very, very real weaknesses and imperfections? Because we all have them, no matter how good you look. If we look close enough, we're going to see a chink in your armor. I love how Brother Paul the Apostle had to, deal, had to deal with the issue of weaknesses and imperfection. There was a weakness in his life, a thorn in his flesh that he was dealing with, and he prayed on three separate occasions for God to take it from him. And when his prayers were not answered, he finally spoke the words of our text today, in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, which reads, And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ will rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It reminds me of a story that I love to tell, one of my favorite stories of a young boy named Tyler. Tyler's 10 years old. He, he lost his left arm in a tragic car crash. Despite the fact that he no longer had a left arm, he began lessons with an old Japanese judo master. His, his mother was concerned that he no longer had, had a left arm, but he was still trying to study judo, which is most effectively used when you have two arms. But he let him go forward because she knew that her son needed something. So off he went, dedicated, focused, and wanting to learn judo. So he's studying under this master. But after studying with the master for about three months, he, he kind of realized and noticed that the master only taught him one move only taught him one maneuver. So he goes to the sensei and he says, you know, master, I have been studying this sensei. I've been studying this move, but you know, shouldn't I be learning more moves? 
The sensei looks at him and smiles and says, this is the only move you know. But this is the only move you'll need to know. Not quite understanding, Tyler believed in his teacher anyway, and he, he kept training. He kept practicing this one move. Day after day, he would practice his one move. His mother would see him doing it in the living room, see him doing it in the backyard. He practiced and he, until he could do that one move without thinking about it. He would wake up in his sleep doing the one move. Well, several months later, the sensei took the young boy to his first tournament. Tyler was kind of worried. You know, I remember I only have one arm, right? I don't have a left arm. You know, how am I going to fight in the tournament? The sensei said, like I said before, you know only one move. But one move is all you'll ever need to know. So Tyler, believing in his master, joins the tournament. Surprisingly, Tyler did the one move and won the first match. Next match came up. Again, surprisingly, Tyler won the next match. He was now in the semifinals. In the semifinals, okay, now he's working it in there and he's, you know, wrestling kind of and, and jostling around with his opponent, but the opponent, you know, kind of got overconfident. Tyler stepped in, did the move, and he won the match. The semifinals. Tyler was now on his way to the finals of the tournament. He was fighting a bigger and much larger and more exponent and more, more experienced opponent. So people were a little bit worried. So the match starts. Tyler's kind of getting in there, kind of moving around and trying to figure out what to do. And he got a little brushed and bumped and people were worried. So the referees called timeout for the match. Went to the instructor, went to his master and said, you know, I don't think that, you know, the guy, you know, he did a great job. He's got one arm. He made it here this far. Maybe you should call the match and we can just all celebrate him for making it this far. The old Japanese sensei says, no, let him continue. So the match continues. And all in his frustration, his opponent launches out in anger, and Tyler stip flips and does the move and wins the match. He was then champion. People were astonished, but no one was more surprised than Tyler. So on the way home, Tyler and his master are driving in the car, and they're kind of thinking about what's going, what happened there. They're kind of going over each match, but Tyler still can't understand what happened. How was he able to win? So he, he says, Master, how was it? How did I win that match? I still don't understand. I kind of don't even remember those matches. What happened? His master looks at him and grins and smiles. He says, well, that, that remember that one move that I was teaching you? He said that one move is one of the most difficult moves to master and learn in the art of judo, and you learned it, and you practiced it, and you learned it. Now, the second thing is the only way to counter and stop that move is to grab the opponent's left arm. Oh, give him praise on today. His greatest weakness became his greatest strength. We have to remember that he that has begun a good work in you shall complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. We have to remember that we can do all things through Christ that strengthen us. We have to remember that all things work for the good of those that love the Lord who are called according to his purpose. Oh, stand up and give the Lord praise on today. Everybody stand and give the Lord praise. Even through your weakness, even through your perfection, 
imperfection. Give the Lord praise on today. Hallelujah. God has something that he wants each of us to do for the building of his kingdom here on earth. The great tragedy of our lives would be for us to think that we could not do that thing because of what happened in our past, because of the wrong that we have done. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creature. If anyone be in Christ, your weaknesses, your imperfections become perfect. Your weaknesses become strengths. We put limits on God when we say that he could never use us to do something great because of what we used to do or who we used to be or because of something we consider a weakness. Everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. I had to admit that there were some things that I had not forgiven myself for doing. Think of those things. You, we all have some things that you are still holding on to that even though God has forgiven you, you haven't forgiven yourself. Think about that. That when I think of those things, I still kind of cringe. And it's been decades since I did these things. But sometimes I think about them and I'm still just like, oh God, how is that me? It is those same things that I use to disqualify myself from the thought that God could use me to do something meaningful and relevant in this world, something great in this world. God wants you to know and really believe that when you put your life completely in his hands, that the extraordinary is possible, that our mess in his hands can become our message. That my weakness can finally become my strength when I give it all over to him. God used everyday men and women like you and me that when the power of Christ rested on them, rested even in their weakness, they healed the sick. They raised the dead. They prophesied. They spread the gospel around the world. When God's spirit comes upon you, when the power of Christ rests upon you, even in your weakness, you can accomplish the impossible. Give the Lord praise. It doesn't matter what your weaknesses or imperfections are. God's presence, God's spirit, the power of Christ wants to rest on you. Let him turn your mess into your message. Let him make your weaknesses strengths. Let him make your imperfections perfect in him. Introduce yourself to him so he can introduce you to who you really are are in him. The only move that you'll ever need to know is to give your life to Christ. Amen. If there is someone here that has been disqualifying yourself, if there is someone here that is, feels like your weaknesses and if you can think of a reason why you can't go forth in the Lord, if there is someone here that is ready to give it all to Christ, weaknesses, imperfections, and everything, come on down here to this altar. Saved or not, God still has a purpose for you. Come on down here. We want to pray for you. We want to stand with you. The presence of the Lord is here. The presence of the Lord is here. Can't you feel it in the atmosphere? The presence of the Lord is here. The presence of the Lord is here. The power of the Lord is here. 
The power of the Lord is here. Can't you feel it in the atmosphere? The power of the Lord is here. The power of the Lord is here. Dear precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your children, your sons and daughters, who even in their perfection have been made perfect in you. We thank you for the gifts and the purpose and the future and the promise that you've put inside of each of them. Father God, we pray now that they would no longer let those weaknesses hold them back, that they would no longer seek to disqualify themselves for the purpose that you put inside of them, but they would give it all over to you. That the greatness that you have put inside of them will now come out and begin to bless the world, to bless their families, to bless their relationships, to bless their communities that as they walk into the room, your presence and your power and your love would radiate out of them and change the atmosphere and environment of the room and of the spaces and of the relationships therein. Father God, we pray now for those who are willing and now asking you to come into their heart, who are learning now to make the only move that they will need to make, and that's to give it all over to you. Weaknesses and imperfections and all. So, Father God, we pray that you would come in to their hearts right now. Please repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for sending your son to die for my sins. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we believe that he came down to die for our sins. And we believe that he rose again on the third day. And I now ask that he forgive me for the wrong that I have done. That he forgives me for the wrong that I have been. I now turn all of my life, all of my weaknesses over to him. And I now ask him to come into my heart, into my life. I ask him to be Lord of my life now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let all the imperfect, perfect people give the Lord praise on today. Come on now, if you prayed that prayer with me, you are now saved. You have now been made perfect in him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So if that is you, we praise God for you. We want to say welcome to your new life. Welcome to who you are going to be in him. We want you to know that you are not alone that on this journey, we're going to be walking with you because there's a whole bunch of imperfect, perfect people here in this church right now. You're among friends. You are among family, and we are going to walk on this road with you. Besides, we are just waiting to see what God has put inside of you so it can come out and bless the world. Oh, let's give the Lord praise on today. Well, if you have just gotten saved and if you would love to be a member of West Angeles, amen, this lovely band of imperfect, perfect people, we just want you to go with Dr. Oscar Owens right there off to the side. He's just going to get a little bit of information. It will not take more than a couple minutes. We want to know who you are so we can connect with you and so we can walk on this journey with you. Amen. So just go on with Dr. Owens. If you're already saved and you're already connected, you can go on back to your seat. Give the Lord praise for the victory as you go. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. 
in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Satan will have to flee. Tell me who can stand before us when we call on that great name. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, we have the victory. Oh, I command you, Satan, in the name of the Lord, to take up your weapons and flee. God has given me authority to walk all over thee. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Satan will have to flee. Tell me who can stand before us when we call on that great name. Jesus, precious, we have the victory. Give the Lord praise for the victory on the day. Give the Lord praise that in Christ, your weaknesses become strengths. That your imperfection becomes perfect in him. Hallelujah. Oh, let's give the Lord one more praise for that word on today. I hope somebody was blessed. Oh, in fact, is one thing I forgot to do. Everyone, please be seated. I was reminded that we are celebrating all of our graduates today. Amen. If you graduated from school, a program, a training program, something that you were going through, if you were a graduate, everyone stand up. Even our, our brothers and sisters online, if you graduated from something, high school, college, graduate school, if you graduated, stand up on today. In fact, Come down here to the front of the church. We just want to celebrate you on today. 